0: change of blinders arm yourself with the truth and take a walk along the razor sharp precipice of the outer edge
1: so here it is it's already the middle of November it just it just seems like October got over with and here we are in November already I it's 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 a it's a conspiracy, Mike, I tell you.
2: Yeah. it's. Yeah, time keeps marching on into the future.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's right. Boy, you know, you should be a songwriter.
2: Yeah. Actually, I should have said slipping, but hey.
1: Yeah. Time yeah. C- keeps on slipping, slipping. See, I'll never be. I'll never be a, a musician because I just can't sing. <laughs> well, you know, um we have with us tonight uh, mike and and we're going to just we're just going to go just right into it um, we have uh just uh, 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 an excellent guest with us and i'm really had really happy to have uh, um, uh steve ward with us and uh, steve uh you can uh, you can join us in our pre-interview conversation if uh if you're willing if you're brave uh,
3: enough absolutely uh hi tim hi mike how's it going Good. How are you? Uh, beyond wonderful. Good. Good. Okay. Now, Steve, uh, uh, where uh, uh, where are we talking
1: to you from uh, this evening? You
3: know, I'm in uh, Marshall, Michigan, South Central Michigan, about uh, oh, 10 or eleven miles east of Battle Creek.
1: Oh, okay, okay. Oh, that's a that's a
3: beautiful part of the states. Yeah, it's a nice part of Michigan
1: yeah we uh when I was a kid uh we used to have a cabin up in the the upper peninsula of Michigan and so oh, yeah. from, so from central Indiana, you know i mean we drove right through uh you know that that part of the state uh where where you are have have you are you have you always been a Michigan resident or just a...
3: yeah I, I grew up in the uh detroit area north of detroit ah. and uh after it's only been uh uh uh, you know, I, I, that's where I, uh, uh, I grew up in Ferndale and, uh, you know, went to school there. And, uh, except for a stint in the Navy, uh, I came back to the Detroit area and then, uh, we moved out here. Wanted to kind of get away from the, uh, the big city a little bit. And uh, Marshall kind of like a little Walt Disney town. It's just a really nice place to live.
2: Okay. That's great. So, uh, you're, it's kind of removed from, it seems like almost like uh, Michigan is sort of uh, what's the word I'm looking for here. There, there's a lot of dichotomy in Michigan. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's. Yeah, I guess that's yeah. a nice way to put it. <laughs> yeah. In other words, in other words, you know, you drive one direction, you're in the middle of Detroit, which is like you know, urban. Uh, Well, degeneration, and then you go to the other
1: direction. (laughs) I was going to say hell, Uh, urban hell. (laughs) And you go
2: somewhere else, and you're in the middle of uh, uh, burgeoning uh, Sharia land. And, uh, yeah, so, (laughs) (laughs) an adventure no matter which way you go.
1: Uh, That's that's true. Well, uh, gentlemen, I wanted to ask you, um, had you seen the reports uh, about the trident missile that was fired over california it was a saturday evening i think wasn't
2: it uh yeah that's pretty wild because you know of course all the crazy stuff came out especially on facebook it's an alien spaceship you know and uh you know um all kinds well, of stuff and
1: yeah now, now, you now, know think, think about it though I, a mean, comet,
2: you know. I saw somebody said it was a comet they had all this crap about it being a comet
1: oh yeah and i saw that as like oh my yeah, God, how, yeah how could you think it was a comet yeah exactly <laughs> But, you know, face it, I mean, you know, if you're somebody who really, you know, I mean, you've never seen something like that before. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's, and and it, it, it certainly, the video that I saw of it was remarkable. I mean, that, uh, that would put the fear of God into you. you Sure. if, If you weren't, you know, familiar. (laughs) <laughs> you know, with that kind of phenomena, and I was—I uh, I was just reading earlier today um, some uh, an article that was saying, you know, why the Navy would choose at that particular time of the day to shoot a Trident missile right over California, and you know, some of the. Uh, some of the comments in this article was saying that maybe they did it deliberately. Maybe it was uh, almost like, first of all, it was a test of the trident missile. Right. But then it was also a test to see um, how social media would react could to be. something like this.
2: And it could also be a, a way of sending a message to people who are encroaching on our territory, Um you know, there have been a lot of uh, uh, incursions by Russian planes. There have been a lot of, uh, ac- there's been a lot of activity by the Chinese in the Pacific. I mean, who knows? We could have been sending a message. I mean, even even North Korea throws one up in the air every now and then.
3: Yeah, that's there's what I. That's what I think. Uh, you know, they they deny it. They say, oh, no, this is not to, uh, you know, uh, rattle the Russians' cages or anything like that. But yeah. like, you're right. They've, there's been a lot of incursions in our space, you know, getting really close to try and make us a little bit nervous. Uh, I, I'm, I'm sure that this is kind of a message back saying, hey, you know, watch your step. Of course, you will notice that uh, um, if that was a, a red
2: line, it sure was. Incredibly close to the homeland. It's kind of like, kind of like the red line in Syria that meant nothing. You know, you right. want to really, you want to really make them nervous. Launch a Trident missile right next to China, right next to Russia.
1: Oh, you know? oh my gosh! You know? And say, so, hey,
2: look, we're doing a missile test right by your, you know.
3: That'd make you know, us all nervous, I think. Oh yeah, 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 yeah you know, it would.
2: I mean, I'm not, I'm not sure that the desired effect of launching one off the coast of California is going to, you know, really be there. So
1: well i mean it had the desired effect of uh, uh of drawing attention to it and at the particular time of the day that it was launched it caught the sun just perfectly to yeah. to highlight all three stages of it uh when uh, you know when one would burn out and then the next one would start and i mean it really you know the it, if if they had launched it just a little bit earlier a little bit later it wouldn't have garnered nearly the attention that it did uh, at, at that at that particular time, and I just I don't think that that was an accident. That you know they just like you know drew a number out of the hat and said, "Okay, we're going to shoot it off at this time." Yeah, could be. <laughs> uh, well, um, since that. Uh, since that situation has um, has already occurred, you know, it just it makes me think about. Uh, and, and Mike, you just—I uh, I think it was you—just said, you know, North North Korea, you know, occasionally will will lob one up over yep. uh, over Japan. Of course, it doesn't stay up in the air very long. <laughs> you know, <laughs> once once they do it.
2: Well, they they're working on. I heard they're working on getting a much much better uh, ballistic si- uh, system in North Korea. They're they've actually got a much much larger rubber band
1: that they're uh, <laughs> they're they're working on right now. <laughs> uh, uh, I tell you, if uh, if, if North Korea is listening to our program, you know, <laughs> oh, <well>. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, they'll send us they'll send us a nasty
3: letter. In that case, I live in Arizona.
1: <laughs> that's right. That's right. Well, I mean, if uh, if if North Korea has the ability to get something over to uh, 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 Southern Indiana or or Central Michigan, then <laughs> then yeah, we do have something to worry about. But.
2: Yeah, but if they have to shoot something that far, the rubber band will break after one shot. So
1: (laughs) (laughs) it'll probably snap. (laughs) Uh, Well, um, okay that let's let's make that let's make that the end of our our, our the news portion of our day unless somebody else <laughs> unless somebody else has uh, uh got something interesting that they've uh, that they've seen on the wires uh from this past week uh, we can uh, <laughs> we can just gracefully move on <laughs> does that sound okay yeah uh, yeah sounds good okay steve well okay now uh, um uh, now, now, now it's your butt under the uh, under oh, the <laughs> Well, now uh, we actually had the pleasure of uh, of talking, albeit briefly, uh, last week uh, when uh, you were a guest on uh, Exploring the Bazaar. And uh, I, I, I was very impressed with uh, the things that you said. And unfortunately, you know, with uh, all the other guests that were on that particular program, I just I didn't feel that, uh, uh, that you really got that sufficient airplay. So that's, that's one of the reasons
3: I wanted to have you on uh, um, The Outer Edge. I'm glad you did. It was, it was a lot of fun, though. It was kind of a free-for-all, but it, it, was, uh, it was a good time.
1: Oh yeah, definitely. Well, you yeah, know, and, and that's, uh, we really didn't get much of a chance to, you know, to, to find out uh, much about you. So why don't you, why don't you tell us, first of all, okay, now, you know, we, uh, we know that you, you, are currently, you know, living, living in Michigan. And, uh, what, uh, what was it that, uh, that got you involved? in all of this you know weirdness and madness and insanity
3: well i i guess you know uh as a kid uh you know interested in science fiction that sort of thing i think probably ufos was a natural progression but uh, one of the things that really sparked my interest were the books of frank edwards and this is uh of course he's famous for flying saucer serious business but he wrote a series of great anthologies that just thrilled me when i was a kid uh you know, strangest of all, strange world. Strangely enough, mm-hmm. yeah. And uh, you know, there there was great stuff in there. The first time I ever read about the Flatwoods Monster or the Kelly Hopkinsville Aliens, uh, there was even a chapter in one of the books entitled "Monster Apes of Oregon." The first time I encountered anything about Bigfoot in right. in North America, so uh, and but then in uh, let's see uh march of 1966 uh came the great michigan wave Mm -hmm. and uh great michigan flap and uh heck this is right in my backyard uh uh, people were seeing uh close-up ufos strange craft or whatever in ann arbor dexter hillsdale and uh that was just that was fascinating uh and of course that's when Dr. J. Allen Hynek came along, still attached to uh, the Air Force's Project Blue Book, I believe, and uttered the famous phrase about swamp gas, which uh, never left. But uh, oh, and he he regretted
1: that statement <laughs> the rest of his life.
3: <laughs> well, you know, I saw him ten years later, my one and only Mufon symposium. He spoke there and he, his talk was called Swamp Gas Plus Ten and Counting. <laughs> and it was, it was a great, uh, great talk. You know, I, I have actually, I did record that. Uh, I've got, still got it on cassette somewhere. I'll have to transfer it. But, uh, he had, uh, he had a, a slideshow and he showed some great, uh, cartoons at the time. Of the time, where you see a bunch of you know aliens with uh, heavily armed with ray guns, and they would to cost some earthling on the street saying, "Take us to the one that called us swamp gas."
1: <laughs>
3: <laughs> but it was uh, uh, it was it was a great symposium, a lot of interesting people there. But uh, but then uh, you know a, a few months later, I think it was in November, uh, over the wires came the one of the first reports about the Mothman from, uh, Point Pleasant, West Virginia, that chased two couples, uh, down Route 62, out of the, the infamous TNT area. And so, I think that's the, you know, then we, uh, you know, we got together like a lot of kids did. We had a sort of a high school, uh, UFO club. And, uh, even a couple of our guys went on to publish a, a pretty decent, uh, amateur UFO magazine called The UFO Phenomenon. Hmm. And, uh, you know, that was, that was the start. And, uh, you know, I've been hooked ever since.
1: Hmm. Hmm. Uh, you know, well, You know, I, I, I remember a cartoon uh, from that time that showed, I mean, clearly, you know, a, a nuts and bolts UFO, you know, with the glass dome and the aliens inside. And then crudely printed on the side of it was the words swamp gas. <laughs> <laughs>
3: Yeah, there was a lot of mileage out of that one. Yeah, but <laughs> now then, again, oh, know, the, most fam- the most famous image
2: of Mothman ever was the, the Frank Frazetta painting. Oh, yeah, for the Mothman uh, prophecies, and, and it didn't look anything like Mothman, but because it was because it was a Frazetta painting, you know, it was <laughs> it's still burned in people's minds to this day—a big alien with a moth-like head and big colorful moth wings, which. Of course, it's not at all what Mothman looks like. I don't even know why they no. call him Mothman because he really looks more like a gargoyle
3: with big red eyes. I mean, well, um, I can answer that, that question. Uh, by the way, that, that, that particular edition for those that want to find it is the 1991 edition, uh, big trade paper size. And it also, they used that same illustration in an issue of High Times magazine. So everybody get out their <laughs> High Times collection and you can look that up. But, uh, what happened was the, uh, uh, it, the, the Mothman sightings occurred around the same time as the Batman TV show, so some uh, enterprising copy editor, who nobody knows who it was, just dubbed him Mothman, just as kind of a play on the Batman name, because you're right, there was nothing, there were no, there were no characteristics of this whatever it was, apparition creature or whatever, that resembled a moth, and of course, so they, did,
2: did Keel. Where did Keel get the idea to use the term Mothman?
3: It had already been, you know, he the the book, uh, the Mothman prophecies actually took him about ten years to get published, and he had been writing articles uh, about the, these incidents for quite some time. So the, the Mothman uh, name was already kind of ingrained in popular culture by the time uh, his book was published. Right, right.
1: Well, now, I I see that uh, that that your little. Uh, um, um, ufo group actually it wasn't
3: a little ufo group uh, uh you actually managed to do a live radio show uh, well this was uh this, we had that was the first one the second group was uh i was a lot older and uh it was kind of informal but you know there was actually several professional people kind of involved mm-hmm. and we would meet on saturday mornings and uh uh we, uh, the, the one, our sort of de facto leader got us a, uh, my, my first radio interview, which took place 40 years ago, uh, in, uh, farm country in Ionia, Michigan. And, uh, that was, that was, that was fun, but, uh, uh, there it was, it was some, we had some disagreements. So we, 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 all of us were, very interested in john keel i mean i've always been interested in keel's writings and uh there was we had kind of a a minor dispute about whether we should dive heavy into the you know the men in black and that sort of thing and i thought oh look this is you know we were in the mid-70s nobody knows john keel or the men in black and i didn't want to you know frighten the uh the local farmers to the point where they'd leave their farms and food production would, would go down uh so we kind of tempered a bit we just talked kind of really basic stuff about ufos but it was very kind of uh the the guy that had the the uh, program uh he did the best he could but he wasn't that well versed in the subject and uh you know it was around christmas time we were bombarded with all kinds of commercials but we had one gentleman call Uh, we were taking calls and this one gentleman i call him an old geezer probably my age now (laughs) he he went on and on about temperature inversions and he had seen one once and he explained everything and he just wouldn't wouldn't go away and so finally i said well sir you know some of these things have landed and he said what you mean they've come down and then he hung up (laughs) man uh one couple interesting things uh at the very end we were supposed to get a cassette recording of the uh, of the episode and it didn't record and i thought Wow, just like John Keel, you know, because he had a lot of UFO researchers have had all kinds of problems trying to, you know, tape things, record things or whatever. I'm sure it was just a glitch, but I I thought, wow, kind of a parallel there with John Keel.
1: Starts, there you go, an early start to uh, some of the uh, recording weirdness that uh, that happens to us all, you know, over the years when you're uh, uh, investigating this kind of stuff.
3: But one interesting thing did happen. We got a phone call in after the show was over that I fielded. And the guy told me about a silent helicopter he saw cruise over some cornfield in Michigan. And at the time, I didn't know enough about the phenomena to really ask many questions. I think Kiel had published some articles about you know phantom airplanes and helicopters but i didn't really know enough to ask him enough questions about it but i thought that was pretty interesting way back then you know having uh encountering a silent helicopter for whatever reason
1: right oh yeah yeah well i mean gosh the whole silent helicopter thing didn't come about really until the
3: 1980s right uh i wondered if if some of it was occurring out west with some of the animal mutilations I, i don't know but that's the first time I heard of anything like that in Michigan.
1: Okay. Now, uh, what about your uh, what about your roommate that uh, may have had a couple of uh, unusual encounters?
3: Well, this is, uh, uh, we uh, we were, you know, heavily immersed in John Keel. And one time he came back uh, from wherever he was and he said, you know, I, I was, he was out and uh, there was this guy in this car, a dark car, black car. And he's dressed like classic men in black. Couldn't see any features to really, you know, uh, wonder if he was uh, to to state if he was had, you know, some of the odd features that are reported. But he said this guy just kind of, uh, you know, stared at him, and and he, he was kind of creeped out. And I thought, well, okay, this is the Detroit area. Having a gentleman stare at you from a car uh, isn't really may not be paranormal. But uh, shortly thereafter, uh, he worked at a chain store that had the subtitle uh, Expedition Outfitter. And he went to lunch, came back, and he heard his coworkers talking about these strange guys that came in to buy some gear, uh, uh camping gear and so forth. And, uh, he started asking them questions, and, and he said, yeah, they're from the Air Force, they were in uniform, but uh, it turned out their, their hair was a little bit too long. They had, uh, uh, uh kind of Asian features, hmm. and, uh, seemed to, you know, represent some of the, the MIB phenomena. Now, you know, is it possible these guys were hoaxing him? Uh, my friend because he didn't actually see this uh sure but you know how many people knew enough about the men in black back then to create a, a, a believable hoax right so i you know i don't know what to make of it but it was right in the midst of uh i even had some weird phone interference one time but nothing to the level that some people have uh, reported so just just kind of an interesting incident
1: well, yeah, have a whole thing with the, uh, especially the, uh, the Asian features, uh, the, the, the long hair where there shouldn't, you know, there shouldn't be on a military person at least. Uh, uh, those are, those are classic, uh, men in black, black description. Boy, just, uh, uh, give them kind of an olive tin skin. Right. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> well, like, they've
2: even, been, they've even been described as
3: Asiatic at times.
2: Mm-hmm. So, right.
3: Very interesting. But if you want to digress from that just a little bit, uh, come forward in, in, uh, in more recent times. Sure. I've got a really strange Man in Black report that I, I talked to a lady about. Uh I attend the Michigan MUFON meetings in uh in Flint, Michigan, uh hit about Bill Konkoleski, and uh he does a pretty good job. Well I was you know, you go there, you have brunch, you listen to the speaker, but beforehand you get a chance to just to talk to people. And this one sweet lady, you know, we were talking about this and that, and she said would you like to hear my man in black experience? And I said sure. So she talked about she was as when she was uh, very young. She and her husband had just been married. They were hitchhiking. They were picked up by uh, a black—I don't know if it was a Cadillac, but a black car. Two classic-dressed men in black with fedoras. the The dashboard had all kinds of flashing lights on it, and uh, took them to wherever they were supposed to go. But they—they they suggested that they don't leave right away and they ended up falling asleep losing some time then they eventually they woke up and they left the car thanked him for the ride they went and found a motel uh somewhere the proprietor's jaw just about dropped he looked at them and said boy i'm glad you guys didn't show up earlier because you know the police just arrested a couple that looks a lot like you for uh, it was, they, were, they hit a party store or something like that. They had robbed a party store, and the police had already wow. apprehended them. So I thought that's one of the weirdest. Uh, this lady was as sincere as could be. I, I asked her questions uh, to see if she was familiar with the literature, and she hadn't really read anything by Gray Barker or John Keel. So, you know, another story I just you don't know what to make of, but that's the first time I, I've ever heard of a man in black story that was, uh, you know, the good men in black.
2: Right, positive in some way. Hmm. Right. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. Very strange.
1: That
3: is. That's. That's. That's
2: um, almost like guardian angels or something.
3: <laughs> very weird. But anyway, uh, back back in those days, the one of the high points for me was attending the that, that MUFON Symposium in 1976 in Ann Arbor. Uh, not only seeing uh, Jay Allen Heinick, but they had, uh, uh, let's see. Well, I actually there were several good speakers there. Uh, I don't know if you remember uh webb was it james webb right uh, yeah 1973 you the humanoids mm-hmm. uh wrote that right and then uh ray stanford talking about his starlight international project where he built essentially a ufo landing port and supposedly got all kinds of uh good uh, photographs of you know flying saucers coming overhead i think he was in arizona at the time but the the the, the most fun thing for me was i got to meet gray barker hmm. he uh of course, he wasn't speaking there. UFON was a little bit, uh, I think kind of snooty back then, and they wouldn't have allowed anybody like, uh, Gray Barker or, say, James Mosley to speak. But, uh, it was, it was funny because I, uh, well, just to digress for a second, my friend Kevin, who was, uh, kind of ran our magazine in our original UFO group, he got a chance to go to the 1967 uh, the big ufo convention in new york city at the mm. commodore hotel right, right and i you know he got to meet barker and mosley and i had to kind of live vicariously through him because i i was supposed to go uh... his mom was uh... uh... kind enough to offer to take me but my my parents put the kibosh on me wandering new york city i guess but, <laughs> but anyway i uh... when i walked in the room just, and i saw barker there he had just cracked some kind of a joke which I missed, he dropped an F-bomb, had everybody cracking up. So I thought, well, this is my chance. So I did kind of a, a mini 10-minute interview with Gray Barker. and You know, I asked him about, if uh, he knew my friend, and uh, I asked him about one of his publications that Tim Beckley uh, republished uh, fairly recently in his Man in Black book. Uh, do you guys remember the uh, the UFO warning? uh... john stewart a guy from new zealand that was supposed to have had uh... some really bizarre men in black encounters yes, almost, I, remember like it, but I, I don't there. know if i read it or not but, right. sounds familiar. but anyway i just asked him if he thought it was a legitimate uh, case yeah. and uh... but i also i, I asked him uh... Uh, I I had never read The Silver Bridge. I had never been able to get a copy of that. And I'd heard rumors that uh, some people claimed that, oh, John Keel just ripped off uh, Gray Barker and Hmm. and rewrote The Silver Bridge. Well, once I read The Silver Bridge, you know that's not true, you know. But I'd asked him about that, and uh, he was really funny. He said, uh, I wish I could imitate him, but he said, (laughs) well, you know, I uh, we we, we don't like to get our, our literary toes stepped on, but I'm sure John wrote his own book. This guy was uh, tall and you know thick glasses and kind of longish hair, which kind of surprised me a bit because all the the older photographs I'd seen of him, he'd had uh, very close cropped hair. But that was uh, that was a really for me that was a really fun time yeah, going I, to that convention.
1: Gray Barker's Silver Bridge is uh, yeah I I love. The way that Gray Barker writes or wrote, anyway, he had a, a very, and I hate to use the word old fashioned, but it it really was. I mean, you don't see, you know, people writing like that anymore. And I mean, you know, it's uh, his writings are almost uh, poetic for for one of a better word that I you know, think of. And and you know, the Silver Bridge is just such a beautifully written and and crafted book. Uh, I mean, have you
3: have you ever had a chance uh, to read it? Oh yes. Uh, since ah. uh, I think it was uh, Andy Colvin and some other people were involved in uh, republishing it, and once you know it became so rare uh, for the longest time that you couldn't t- couldn't touch it for you know under a hundred dollars. But uh, yeah, it's it is a great book, and and it also gives you you know it recounts some of the same incidents in the Mothman prophecies, but you get a different perspective on it. And, you know, by this time, and before, I didn't know that, you know, uh, Gray Barker could be, oh, use certain, you know, artistic license in his writing to, <laughs> to the degree he did. But that doesn't matter. It's, it's really, it is a great book. And I, uh, and uh, what is it? New Saucerian Publications, I think, has been resurrecting a lot of his stuff. Of course, Tim right. Beckley's been doing it for years, for decades. Oh,
1: yeah. 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 Well, I mean, uh, Gray Barker was uh, Beckley's first publisher. Right. Right. And if you had managed to make it to the, uh, to the UFO, uh, uh, conference there in New York, uh, you probably would have had a chance to, uh, to meet Beckley.
3: <laughs> yes, and, and I know, I'm sure my friend Kevin probably met him, uh, back then too. So I, uh, you know, I've been ordering books from Tim for decades, so I, I almost feel like I know him.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: I think, uh, mm-hmm. probably the first thing I ordered from him was, uh, Rainbow City and the Inner Earth People, maybe? Something like that. But, Yep. Michael X, yeah.
1: Okay. Yeah, that's, that's, that's one of his. You know, the, uh, uh, the Michael X story, I don't know if you're familiar with that. I mean, I, uh, I never knew much about him except for, you know, through his books until, uh, Beckley told me one time that, uh, uh, at one point, uh, Michael was getting, um, kind of almost like, uh, uh oh gosh, what's the, uh, what's the word? Uh, the, uh, um, almost like a medium type of um, um, contacts with, uh, um, you know, ultra-terrestrial beings or whatever you would uh, want, uh, want to call them. And at one point, he received a contact that told him, to, to that told Michael X to go out to like a certain field at a certain time at night, and you know, on a specific day, and that you know, he would have a chance to you know, like uh, meet the UFO people. Well, when he went out there, there was a car waiting for him, and I guess big guys with guns got out and beat the snot out of him. Oh, man! And I mean, and you know, they were waiting for him, and I mean, they they did. I mean, they beat him for an inch of his life, and that he stopped writing his uh, his books after that. It just and it, it freaked him out so much.
3: The original message was what, a sort of a channeled message or channeled, so thank
1: it, you. That's the word I was oh, Okay. Before. All right. Yes, yeah. Well, I mean he had I guess he had been receiving channeled messages for quite some time.
2: Must uh, have been the wrong channel.
1: Boy it. So. <laughs> 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 uh, you know, but I mean it's just You're you know,
2: pirating our channel. <laughs> <laughs> you must pay.
1: But, I mean, it, that is so typical, though, of, of, of people who, uh, especially when it comes to channeled messages from, you know, like the so-called, you know, UFO knots. Uh, you know, because, I mean, time after time, these, these, uh, contactees, they'll receive these messages, they'll be given predictions that will come true, and, uh, and then, you know, maybe they'll get one that's, that's especially dire, you're almost like, you know, uh, like the Mothman and Prophecies. And they're dumb enough then, based on, you know, the ones that came true earlier then to make, say, like a press announcement or something like that, and then nothing happens. And they're just left a fool.
3: Right, you know, that, that that's a pattern that seems to crop up in the paranormal. I, I remember years ago, I, just in passing, I, I was watching an old Phil Donahue show, you know, well before his hair turned white and he started using all kinds of gimmicks for ratings. Mm-hmm. He was talking to a parapsychologist. I wish I knew his name, but it was one of these things where it was just in passing. And the guy was talking about automatic writing. And he, t- he talked about the same pattern. He said, uh, you know, he did believe that there was some legitimate contact from beyond, but, uh, he said, if you practice automatic writing, oftentimes it's coming from your own subconscious and it will follow this pattern. And he said, first it'll be friendly, then get, uh, more personal and intimate, and then it can be very damaging and, 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 and self-attacking. And I thought, when I heard that, I thought I thought exactly the same thing you just mentioned, where Keel had talked about his con- his silent contactees, many of them would go through the same kind of process, where they'd start out thinking this was a, a beautiful space brother or whatever, and he's giving me all this great information, to the point where they're just kind of left hanging and right. and being made fools of.
2: Well, it kind of happened to Richard Shaver too. I mean, he started supposedly with a a, a beautiful blind woman from the underworld who visit, visited him when he was in, incarcerated or whatever he claimed. Actually, he, he was in the mental hospital. Uh, Nidia, yeah. she came Nydia, to him, right. and yeah, and then and then she takes him to the caves, and then of course, as his life goes further and further, you know, the the, the subterraneals become more and more malevolent and more and more. Uh, Sort of intrusive into, into his own life, you know, mm-hmm. in terms of, of uh, causing causing him problems. So, very interesting. Mm-hmm.
3: And also, uh, you guys are probably familiar with uh, Alexandria David Neal, who wrote Magic and Mystery in Tibet. Oh, yeah. She's the famous yeah. lady that supposedly learned how to create a tulpa, a thought form from the right. Tibetans. Right. Well, the tulpa, supposedly she created this this jolly little high lama. Uh, went through the same process. A friendly, jolly little, but she can only see him, you know, if yeah. if his story's true. And after a while he became mischievous, played like poltergeist-like pranks on people, and got mm-hmm. to the point where his whole appearance changed, became kind right. of evil and lean, and then she supposedly had to kill him with his, her mind. Which sounds right. like, a... but anyway, it, but isn't that interesting, that same, pattern seems to repeat itself uh, in, in a lot of different instances within the realm of the paranormal. Right. right.
2: Well, it's almost also, it's, it's as if, you know, you could say that it's coming out of the subconscious, or you could say that it's a process by which there's an intelligence that presents itself as friendly at first. Right. Which actually has a parasitic sort of an agenda. And, uh, you know, before you know it, you can lose control. You know, is is this the type of thing that leads to, say, uh, what we what we generally refer to as demonic possession? You know, uh, where something like this? It becomes more and more intrusive, and if you can't make it stop, you're going to be in trouble.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: But that's the question, I and mean, you hit it: uh, is it purely human consciousness somehow, or is there some other intelligence involved? Exactly. Mm-hmm. Well, I suspect it's about a little bit of
1: both. Yeah, uh, gentlemen, let's 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 hold that thought for a minute here, because I'm going to go ahead and uh, uh, go ahead and take our first break of the evening. And uh, when we come back, we will continue our conversation with uh, Steve Ward here on the Outer Edge on the PSN Radio Network. I'm Tim Swartz. Stay tuned. We'll be right back for more. <sharp inhale>
3: That's 954-973-3374 Or visit
0: KeyInformation.com Conspiracy Journal is your number one source for the hidden world of the weird and strange. We bring you thought-provoking and controversial material for free-thinking individuals who are seeking what is really going on in our world today. Some of this material may adversely affect you. Other pieces are meant to enlighten. Either way, be prepared to be intrigued by such things as the reality of UFOs, ghosts, strange creatures from time and space, hidden conspiracies, time travel, Nikola Tesla, suppressed technology, and a whole lot more. You can find out more by visiting our website at conspiracyjournal.com. There, you can sign up for our free weekly newsletter sent directly to your email address. You can also receive our free print catalog. Just send your name and mailing address to UFO 8 at hotmail.com. I'll spell that out for you, mr UFO, the number 8, at Hotmail.com. UFO 8 at Hotmail.com. Find out what they don't want you to know. You're listening to the Outer Edge Radio with William Michael Mott and Tim Schwartz. Only on PSN Radio.
2: back to the outer edge i'm mike mott here with tim schwartz and our special guest steve ward and uh steve is uh, uh quite an interesting guy he's into ufology crypt cryptozoology all types of paranormal research and, and phenomena and uh steve you are majorly involved with the Mothman festival aren't you
3: yeah i uh uh, as I mentioned before, I was, you know, from the day one when the, 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 thing came over the wire services about this man bird chasing these couples down the, uh, down Route 62. Uh, after I had, now, of course, John Keel had written about the events in the Mothman, uh, in, in this whole realm and all, uh, you know, they might mention that, uh, Point Pleasant in that area was one of these, I guess you could call them, some people say windows, vortex areas, or whatever. I like to say high strangeness area, where all this right. stuff seemed to come together: uh, uh, cryptids, uh, UFOs, poltergeist phenomena. Uh, I guess there were even some animal mutilations. But you know, you, we can think of the Skinwalker Ranch, the uh, Bridgewater Triangle, and, and you know, maybe half a dozen other examples. Now, uh, I was—I couldn't wait for the publication of the Mothman Prophecies. And when I got a hold of that and read it, I knew I had to see the area. So my first trip down to Point Pleasant was in nineteen seventy seven. And uh I was visiting some friends in Buffalo, New York, and I, I came down on a Sunday night, found the uh the historic low Hotel, and the next day I went out to the uh I wanted to go out to this this T and T area. And for those that don't know, uh the T T area uh they named it that because it was uh, where they, I guess, built and stored munitions during World War II. And it was quite a huge industrial area at the time. And what they did was they stored the explosives in these concrete uh, bunkers. And they, the locals just called them igloos because they're they shaped like concrete igloos. And uh, they had uh, like uh, stuff growing on them, foliage and so forth, so that if the enemy flew over, uh, it would just look like terrain and then after the war the area became abandoned they uh it became the McClintic wildlife area and it is one creepy looking place uh in the daytime and even right. more so at night uh, if you guys have ever been there <laughs> uh so anyway I, when i first went down there i didn't uh i didn't want to bother anybody you know it was only 10 years after the bridge tragedy and you know right. some people think the mothman had direct connections to the collapse uh, others say no, but it, you know, in a way, it doesn't matter because, you know, in space and time, the bridge collapsed. Kind of at the end of a, uh, a lot of this phenomena, the UFOs and the Mothman. Although some of that did continue afterwards, most right. of it seemed to die down then. So uh, I went and I found the the old North Power Plant, which was the spot where the two couples first saw the Mothman. And uh, you were able to drive around the T and T area back then. Uh, because it was completely open. So that was you know, I didn't didn't like I say, I didn't really interview anybody. I I uh but I I got to see, you know, what uh what everything looked like that this this fascinating book uh covered. So years go by and I'm still always always been fascinated by this subject. And then I find out they've got a Mothman festival. So in two thousand and six my wife and I went down and, uh, you know, this, this, uh, for anybody that is interested in any aspect of the paranormal, I really encourage you to, uh, some September, it's always the third weekend in September, come down to the festival. They have a whole series of A-list guests, uh, Rosemary Ellen Guiley is there every year, Stan Gordon, I think you just had him as a guest, he's been there the last, uh, three years, uh, Lyle Blackburn, uh, just, you know, on and on. Uh, now, uh, they also have you know uh regional investigators and local investigators so it's it's completely open it's not just about the mothman uh your 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 average ghost hunter will be there uh cryptid hunter uh you name it and it's free to get in the only thing that costs a little money is to uh they they run a tour uh like well hay rides uh they call them in the t&t area And I have graduated to be one of the, uh, the tour guides in the TNT area. So I started out as a spectator and now I, uh, am one of the presenters on the hayride. And it's a little bit like a, like a haunted hayride. I mean, you're, uh, you're presented, uh, the men in black will try to stop you from going inside. (laughs) And, uh, they're, uh, a little bit, they're not too scary because it is a family ride. So it's a little bit like the men in black meet the Keystone Cops and, uh, they Instead of pursuing you in black Cadillacs, they pursue you in golf carts. So that's not too scary.
1: Black golf carts.
3: But the high point of the ride is my good friends John and Tim Frick, uh, who actually portray the men in black during the day. You, you can get your picture taken with them. They've got the men behind the curtain, and they fly the Mothman over your ride as you go by. But it is... Uh, you know, you've got the history, you've got the geography, you've got, uh, just all aspects of the paranormal presented there. Uh, the locals are great. Uh, it's, uh, Jeff Walmsley, uh, who's a teacher, local teacher there, and Carolyn Harris, who is, uh, runs the, uh, Harris's Steakhouse, aka the Mothman Diner. They're the co-founders of the festival. And Jeff Walmsley also runs the Mothman Museum, which is, uh, Beautifully done, very professionally done, and uh, even if you think the whole thing is just nothing but folklore, it's, a, it's an absolutely uh, wonderful collection of the history and the folklore of the Mothman. And don't forget the Mothman statue, which now uh, stands in the center of town. You've got to go by there and get your picture taken.
1: Well, now, how did you manage, uh, here you are a guy from uh, Michigan, but uh, how did you manage then to become, you know, like a, a, a key player in the festival?
3: Well, I just, uh, it's just a matter of, uh, you know, making friends with people. I would start to come down early and help, uh, you know, set up and run the, the cords, the, the power cords in the TNT area and help set up chairs or, or whatever. And right. then one time, uh, uh, Carolyn Harris used to do the ride and she needed a substitute, so I took over one time and... uh it was so much fun that i I told them I'd be glad to do this every year so uh and you know it's it's just uh there's no script you just uh when when the men in black try to harass you, I harass them back, and I tell them you know we're you can't prevent us from going in there. we stand on the u s Constitution and of course they'll give you a bunch of lip back and and, and you know just have a really good time so it's yeah. all and and everything and it's never the same. You know, uh, they always do something different. It's, it's different every year, except for the infamous Men in Black and the, the Mothman flyover. But, yeah, it's, uh, it's a good time.
1: So now, how, how much has the festival grown? Uh, now I know you weren't there from the very beginning, but, uh, uh, from what, uh, people have told you, uh, and what,
3: what year did, did it actually start? I think 2001, and it was, uh, it was not well attended. Uh, it was, they didn't, uh, it was kind of an afterthought, you know, they, didn't really give it much lead time, but as as the years progress, there are literally thousands. They, they what they do is they can take a uh, account of the people that go into the museum, so it's you know easily three thousand. I'm not sure what it was this year, but uh, you know the one I one festival I wish I had gone to was 2003 because that's where John Keel. When he showed up, oh, and that's that's when they first unveiled the uh, Mothman statue. Right, and my friends John and Tim got to uh, you know go to lunch with. Them. In fact, they went to lunch at uh, the Village Pizza. Which used to be Tiny's Diner. I was going to
1: say Tiny's.
3: So. Yes, that, that's where it was a classic sighting of the Mothman flew over. But uh, they had long conversation with John, and he told them about some of the things editors had done to the Mothman prophecies and some of the, the the manipulations they'd done. So they got a lot of good insight there.
2: Right. Well, listen, you have some background in electronics and electrical stuff, right?
3: I, I, I well, uh, I uh, sell. Two electricians. I work in electrical wholesale. Right. So, so what, I, so what do
2: you what do you think about some of the electronic um, interference that Q would would receive on his telephones and so forth? Do you think that that was just people
3: interfering with him, or or does there seem to be something inexplicable it, it, going on? You know, on? it it might it could be governmental stuff. You know, he made a strange comment. He said that a lot of the, the stuff that uh, UFO witnesses were going through with the same thing that, that people that were uh, uh, investigating the Kennedy assassination were going through. Hmm. You know, so I wonder. But that being said, uh, I just heard Nick Redfern on a uh, another show talking about, you know, he Nick, of course, has written a book on everything in the paranormal. Uh, he said that whenever he talks, or oftentimes when he talks about two specific subjects, the men in black and the black-eyed children, that's when he'll get a lot they'll get a lot of this kind of electronic influence or things will be disconnected or you know people can't hear each other so there definitely seems to be uh I, and i can't explain it but there does seem to be a paranormal element in some of this stuff right uh, that doesn't rule out you know there always seems to be a a military or government presence Sometimes there.
2: it seems like you have more than one thing going on, and and there's something yes. that seems to uh, take advantage of the opportunity to mimic or
3: confuse, you know. Yeah, so, whatever you know, whatever it is, there's it's not one thing going on, and that's it. Just it can't be, you know, it just can't be.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm, yeah. Well, um, why don't you, for uh, I, I guess some of our. Uh, uh, our listeners, who who maybe have you know, maybe they've been living in a cave all of their life. Why don't you uh, tell us a little bit about the whole uh, uh, Mothman uh, uh, incidents? I mean, you know, uh, when did it start? Uh, just exactly what happened?
3: Well, the uh, I, I guess there are some claims of some earlier sightings, but the big one was November fifteenth, and that's when uh, uh, Linda Scarberry and her husband and the uh, Malette, Steve and and uh, Mary Malette uh they were married two married couples but the the t&t area by that time had become kind of a lover's lane and one of the pastimes was to as they would say chase parkers which simply meant they'd sneak up on uh people that were parked in their cars and shine their their headlights in there just to kind of you know unnerve them a little bit well they were doing that they were just having a good time and and cruising through the t&t area and they came by the old north power plant which by the way has been long torn down and they saw some kind of a shadowy figure, and when they got a better look at it, it had red glowing eyes, it was sort of man-like, and it had wings. And Linda Scarberry said, when I, I was able to talk to one-on-one to some of the original witnesses, and I was able to speak to Linda Scarberry a couple times before she died. It seemed like to her that its wing was actually caught in the fence uh, temporarily. Anyway, they got the hell out of there, and they, they headed down uh, Route 62 as fast as they could. And this thing followed them and uh at one point it it, i guess it uh, was supposed to have landed on a uh a sign and as they went by and it followed them all the way into town and then they didn't see it anymore that was the big one and they that's the one that hit the wire services and then uh there were several classic sightings uh marcella bennett uh she, they, she was. They were visiting some friends, the Ralph Thomases, I think, in the T and T area. They, there was another, like your friend. They, they lived right in the T and T area in a really remote right. area. And I can't right. imagine what that would have been like back fifty years ago. Oh yeah. You know, uh, but uh, uh, anyway, um, they. Uh, her brother was trying to get her attention. She was holding her infant child and her mother was trying to get her attention because there was some kind of a ufo or light in the sky and she wasn't really didn't really want to look at it and then all of a sudden next to her this thing rises up and it turns out it's the mothman or whatever it was it uh it it rose up to its full height the wings spread and they ran back in the house And, uh, this thing walked back and forth across the porch while they were in there. And I heard, I never, I never had a chance to interview her, but, uh, uh, I think it was Andy Coleman did a long form interview with her. And I've seen several, you know, she's a very sincere lady. And, uh, you know, when you you talk to these people, I don't know what happened. You know, I, I don't think this, whatever it was, I don't think it was a flesh and blood animal. It seems, Maybe, maybe it was paraphysical or temporal. I don't know. But it was, it acted more like an apparition or a projection. And I can't, you know, I can't really account for it. But, but, you know, you talk to some of these people, it was, it was life changing. And, you know, you, you, you can, you can hear the fear and, and anxiety in their voice when they talk about it. Now, uh, Faye DeWitt was another one. She was a young girl. Uh, she was with her siblings. And uh, her brother drove out there, you know, to say, ah, oh, you know, I don't believe in the Mothman. And they, sure enough, they had a close encounter. The thing was supposed to have run by the car. Uh, shades of some of these uh, dogmen sightings where some of these creatures are, are heard that they're running by the car, you know. Um, let's see. Uh, oh, it, one, but there was always, you know, nothing is static. Uh, Tom Yuri. One of the most believable witnesses I've ever talked to. He didn't see a, a hybrid or a man bird or whatever. He saw a right. large bird. He said it was about, had about a, a 10 to 12 foot wingspan. And he said, it was not a condor. It was not a sandhill crane. You know, it was not all the things they said it was. He said there's, I could not identify what it was, but it came down very close to his car. It was like a Thunderbird, like the old Thunderbird sightings. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there was a rash of these. And then there was also, uh, now Mary Heyer was the uh, famous reporter that worked with John Keel and they would go to uh, a particular hill to, to watch the ufos go over because there were certain areas this was down in, in Gallupless ferry which is south of point pleasant and also there's another well-known road called Camp conley road uh, which is north of point pleasant and there were certain areas where there was just a lot of uh and they, they were even seen in town it was a very very heavy ufo activity um and actually uh we uh my friends and i found Finally found where that hill was, which, which we have dubbed Keel's Hill. For years we've been trying to figure out where it was, and we, we finally, finally located it. But, uh, uh, Mary Heyer is, talked about these strange men that would come into her office. Uh, they wouldn't blink their eyes. They were kind of classic men in black and dark suits, usually. Uh, very odd characters, uh, would speak in a halting manner uh one little gentleman picked up a ballpoint pen and was just fascinated by it like he had never seen it before you know we've all heard the stories of the uh the uh people they classify as men in black trying to drink jello and you know uh, maybe they're wearing clothing that's out of date or whatever but she had several encounters with these people that asked her what she was writing about and suggested that she stopped uh publishing ufo articles because she had a a column called where the waters mingle and because the canal river and the the ohio uh you know come together there and uh uh, her column was very famous in that region and she wrote a lot about the uh ufo sightings and the men of black reports and an interesting thing is I talked to uh, now of course Mary Heyer was as long since passed but I was able to talk to Dottie Campbell who was a next door neighbor of hers and they would like neighbors would talk uh, you know over the back fence about these things and she confirmed a lot of the things that uh, John Keel wrote about in the Mothman Prophecies that Mary had told her one on one so you had and then you had you had uh, uh, you had bedroom invaders you had men in black kind of apparitions show up in people's houses um you know you had the whole injured cold thing which is another uh uh whole uh that's another program really Mm -hmm. but uh um the uh you know injured cold was a uh contacted woody Derenberger supposedly in his cigar shaped ship uh the it the whole thing sounds pretty implausible uh but uh mary hire had uh re- received a report from another man that described a very similar incident a very similar character and a very similar kind of a ship or whatever and was going to go forward with it and decided not to so she and john keel kind of forgot about it then a couple days later widow darenberger's story came out <sighs> um there was a woman over across the river in Galapagos that was having all kinds of bizarre things going on at her farm: low fly, flying strange craft, uh, bedroom invaders. She even claimed to see some people uh, mutilating her cattle. She had had cattle mutilations, and she claimed that uh, she saw men in white coveralls uh, out there harming her her livestock. She'd spot them, run after them, and they ran away, and they could jump over the fence. You know, they. Uh, they were able to elude her with no problem so it was a, sort of a, a a phantasm of you know wild claims and and wild incidents all, all this stuff was going on at the same time
1: hey, do you have any idea which uh, uh, which may have came first i mean uh, were people seeing uh, uh ufos in that area before they started seeing uh, the mothman or vice versa
3: It's hard to say. I think the Mothman incidents brought everything to the forefront. Mm -hmm. So people may have been seeing strange lights in the sky and either not reporting them or or being ignored by the authorities. Hard to say. Mm -hmm. But that that incident with the the Mothman sightings really brought everything to the forefront.
1: Well, you know, I I think it's really interesting the fact that once all of this stuff started, started up, started going, and, and then people were reporting having experiences with, with the men in black. I mean, you know, you're talking about people who had no previous knowledge of, of men in black reports. Exactly. I mean, you know, these, these, these people were, were virgins basically when it came to this whole unusual aspect of ufology. And yet here, uh, you know, and I'm thinking about, you know, Mary in particular. You know, when the, the, the little guy came into her office, I mean, he, he, she described him as, as having, you know, his hair was cut weird, almost like a bowl haircut, right. yet, yet it was long, uh, and uh, his eyes, I think she said that he had pop eyes, didn't he, that kind yes. of protruded
3: yeah. from his like head. like like thyroid eyes.
1: Right, right. Right. And, and then he talked in kind of a like a sing-songy manner. Uh, and and you know and and somebody told me one time that she had said and I don't know if this was in Kill's book or not, uh, but somebody who lived in Point Pleasant told me that she said that that she had the impression that she was talking to a dead man that somehow wow was, that like somehow he was animated was, yeah yeah the some yeah somehow I remember he
3: was talking, that yeah he was a meat puppet
1: basically <laughs>
2: yeah I remember
3: well, that that's bizarre. And Keel, I guess, collected, uh, now I've never been up there, but there were a lot of weird things going on in Long Island, too. A lot of uh, men in black reports, and uh, I've never been to Mount Misery up there, but I guess uh, that was another hot point for UFO sightings and uh, strange uh, visitors.
1: And it was happening at the same time. Yes, as, as the Point Pleasant stuff uh, uh, was as well. Yes, uh, uh, yeah, I can, I can confirm. I mean, I've been, I've been to that area, and I mean, it's still the Mount Misery area is still, uh, I mean, it's not that heavily populated, and there's something just odd about it.
3: <laughs> yeah, I've always wanted to get up there and see what it was like.
1: Well, and and uh, I'll tell you something here. We had on. Um, uh, a couple episodes back uh, a gentleman by the name of uh, Joshua Cutchen, uh, who uh, right. who wrote the book a, a trojan feast and one of the things that he talked about was uh some of the, some of the fairy lore where the fairies or little people whatever you'd want to call them would uh, would ask for salt from people oh um, and there's a story that uh, that Keel wrote about from somebody who uh, who lived around the Mount Misery area, where this lady got a knock on her door, and there was right. a, there was a woman standing there. She said she almost looked like she was Native American, and this woman asked for salt because she had to take a pill. And so, and so she was, you know, the housewife brought this lady, you know, like some Morton salt, and she she shook some into her hands, took it, and then you know, took the pill, and then used the salt to chase it.
3: Very strange. Yeah. I remember that her her name was Leah. That's <laughs> the lady that wanted the salt. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know. That's that's the thing. Uh, i I've, I've told people, you know. Uh, people asked about reading the mothman prophecies i I tell them you know you almost have to read a couple other keels books first you kind of work yourself up to it because if you read if you don't know much about the paranormal and the lore and you dive right into the mothman prophecies it's just mind-blowing you know it's it's like well he's got to be making this stuff up but you know if you can kind of work your way in maybe read uh, strange creatures uh, from time and space or a couple of his articles first then maybe you're you're ready for the uh the big leagues.
1: Oh, And I definitely recommend uh, The Eighth Tower. Uh, oh, yeah. Which was actually yeah. supposed to be part of uh, The Mothman Prophecies.
3: Right. Uh, yeah, but, uh, About two-thirds of that, I think, is from The Mothman Prophecies. But, you know, the, the book that really, uh, I guess, electrified me was the one before The Mothman Prophecies, and that was UFO's Operation Trojan Horse. Mm-hmm, yes. That, that's where he... That's for, for me, you know, I was... Uh, I was very happy with uh, little silver-suited aliens, you know, jumping out of egg-shaped craft, collecting soil samples. And right. uh, when I first, you know, when we first heard about Keel's book, I thought I really had a, a lot of resistance to it. Uh, that and uh, Jacques Vallée's Passport to Magonia, which, of course, touch, touches on the connections between modern-day UFO experiences and fairy lore. But uh, uh, one other thing, you know, I think the thing that helped pave the way... A Trojan Horse was Alan Greenfield's alternate reality theory. Do you guys remember that?
1: Yes, yes, definitely.
3: Yeah. That uh, my uh, friends that published that little uh, amateur magazine got permission to publish. I remember his uh, alternate reality theory, and uh, that was that was pretty interesting because he was okay. trying to come to grips with the fact that right. UFOs appear and disappear. Things aren't you know weren't. Uh, uh, you know, like a, like a narrative in a story, beginning, middle, and end. Something was, was wrong there.
2: Well, for, the, for the listeners out there,
3: explain to them what Greenfield's theory is. Okay, he, he was inspired, I believe, by, uh, uh, L. Sprague de Camp, a great, uh, fantasy writer, wrote a right. book called the, the Incomplete Enchanter. Right. And in that story, that sounds right? Okay. In that yep. story, it. it, it hypothesized there was another dimension where unicorns and some of these, uh, creatures really existed and occasionally the two our two worlds would touch so somebody would be out in the woods or whatever and say oh my god there's a unicorn but then the the universes would shift back and it would disappear so that was kind of what spurred the idea of well maybe that's maybe that's what's going on with some of these strange craft you know they're not coming from outer space they're coming from some kind of an alternate reality and uh you know he was way ahead of his time i think because a lot of people, I think, resisted that notion too back, and they still do, really.
1: Oh yeah, right. well, I mean, it's. Uh, I think now, though, you know, here in the twenty first century, more and more of us, I think, are more accepting. Of this, uh, of this idea that there is probably not much of a difference between uh, UFOs and you know ghosts and paranormal, maybe even uh, you know uh, a Sasquatch and the you know, other types of uh, uh, cryptid sightings.
3: But well, look at uh, look at Stan Gordon's research, mm-hmm. that classic uh, sighting in uh, Pennsylvania, where they they saw the craft come down and saw the you know really strange looking Bigfoots. Uh, walk by you know With the they had the i think greenish glowing eyes and then the, the craft disappeared and the uh the bigfoots were not affected by bullets and uh i mean it, the whole thing was almost like it was staged or uh, i might want to call it a paranormal diorama or something like that you know it, it wasn't it wasn't as if this was a metallic craft that released these animals. There, there was something else going on. It was almost like a the whole thing was kind of a projection.
1: Well, right. that's, you know, and that's something that we've we've talked about in previous episodes, where you know we'll bring in the uh, the gin uh, and and the whole idea of you know like uh, almost like supernatural tricksters, you know, uh, may, you know mimicking these things somehow. I know. Uh, um, uh, uh, Rosemary Ellen Guiley—that's uh, uh, that's that's you know her big thing right now, and she's written several books on the subject.
3: Right, and uh, she has also. Uh I, I got to meet, uh, my wife and I got to meet Rosemary at that first festival. And we've uh, become friends since. And she has, uh, we have kind of a group that we're actually, we're going down again in November. I don't think Rosemary will be there this time, but uh, there's a group of us she has dubbed the Mothman Irregulars. Mm-hmm. And we try and get down there as much as possible. And, uh, so yeah, I've been able to talk to her a lot about the, the gin and, and so forth. Uh, we, uh, she has really been, kind of i think testing the gin hypothesis if you will i know she has uh investigated several high strangeness areas which of course are you know are secret and you know, otherwise uh, ufo investigators would be all over them but she's been to some uh uh areas i th- probably i think around pennsylvania west virginia area that have exhi- exhibited some really really bizarre activity and uh so yeah she's uh in fact uh one uh at the end of one of the festivals we were approached by actually rosemary and uh uh, and john Frick were approached approached by a young lady that was having all they were having all kinds of uh strange goings on on their property and she wanted to know if we would come and and take a look and and uh, so we did uh the next day after the festival and uh, it's a location i can't give either i was it was kind of a preliminary investigation but not my investigation but i was privileged to be there and hear all these people talk about their stories uh the thing that prompted this was this young lady said she she described some kind of a cryptid or creature on her property that seemed to be vaguely reminiscent of the jersey devil hmm. it had kind of a yeah kind of a horse-like head and wings and so forth and uh when we got there uh we just kind. Uh, Rosemary had a, a, a recorder going, and uh, everybody was just kind of uh, you know they, they were finishing each other's sentences, uh, and they were reminding each other of different things. It wasn't it wasn't at all like it was staged. But they talked about they'd seen a classic disc shaped UFO all lit up. They'd seen some kind of a shadow person or whatever. Uh, typical haunting phenomena. Uh, when she was a little girl, she would hear somebody <clears throat> singing coming from the holler and actually couldn't find a source for it. The, the one guy even said, talked about some kind of creatures he dubbed as grave robbers. And I thought, right. boy, is that weird. And then I read later, I read Brian, uh, oh, no, uh, Barton Numbly right. book. Yes, the humanoids. and right. it's 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 folklore it, it, from Kentucky and other places. I, right, that's they just call them grave meals Right. Yeah. And I yeah. thought <laughs> that's so weird to corroborate uh, that uh, legend uh, from that book, but it was uh, it was quite an experience to hear all these people talk about all these these strange things. It would be like a laboratory of, uh, of a little bit like uh, Ted Phillips. Ted Phillips, Marley Woods, mm-hmm. isn't yeah, boy, wouldn't wouldn't that be great to have, to have our own Marley Woods where we could go and, and investigate and and you know uh, search out the phenomena.
1: Now, uh, is, is this an area near near Point Pleasant?
3: Uh, yeah, general area. You could say no, general no. area. Actually, it uh, it was uh, there was a a landing uh, report in the uh, Mothman Prophecies that it's not too far from. Oh, okay, but I yeah.
1: So I mean, I wonder if this if this is an area that has seen this kind of activity for years and years. I mean, yeah, maybe it wanes and you know, for a while.
3: Right, I don't know. It, it, uh, I think it has been going on for years, but I don't know. I know that when one guy's uh, brother wouldn't come on. He he experienced something there, and he would he wouldn't go all the way up the driveway. He won't he won't go on the property. But I also know uh, there's other. Uh, Another researcher, uh, oh, uh, several miles from that area, that ha- on Woodward Drive, that has had all kinds of uh, bizarre. It seems like West Virginia is just a hotbed for uh, yeah, this kind West of stuff, and,
2: and and Kentucky, mm-hmm. um, right? You know, I, I think it may have something to do with the uh, with the underlying structure of the terrain. That that's a karst area. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of limestone, a lot of uh, okay. quartzite type rock and there are a lot of really huge cavern systems. Uh, there are a lot of electromagnetic anomalies and, and gravitational field anomalies in that area, um, which is all probably part of the same thing. And you'll know that you'll... you'll there, there are those who, and I'm sure you know this, Steve, that, that have pointed out that areas that have a lot of limestone, even in a building structure, or that have running water beneath the building, things like that, they extreme, they, they, have, they experience more paranormal
3: phenomena. Right. It, it seems like the geology is a factor. When that's that was something I never, never would have considered before. But yeah, right.
1: Well, and you know, uh, something that Keel I remember pointed out uh, when he was in the Point Pleasant area that he actually came across. Uh, uh, what did he refer to it? It as like the zone of fear? Where, yes, where there seemed to have been almost like maybe an electromagnetic anomaly that that. Uh, you know you could walk in and out of it that uh you know that that, that produced a fear response in someone
3: yeah. uh, he hypothesized it was something to do with microwaves but i remember reading an interesting passage in uh you know colin wilson wrote a book called mysteries
0: mm-hmm.
3: that's and really that's right. a oh excellent and there's a you know the chapter in there something like uh i don't know mysteries from time and space he, he talks about keel's research uh uh, F.W. Holiday, the great uh, Locke-Yes researcher, uh, and, and T.C. Lethbridge, the dowser. Anyway, he brings all their research together. But in there, he talks about the zone of fear, and he says that he thinks it, it wasn't anything to do with microwaves. It was a, he called it a ghoul, uh, T.C. Lethbridge, the dowser. Uh, he would use the term ghost, obviously, to represent an apparition, but ghoul right. he would use to represent a feeling of dread. Uh As sometimes you know, people go into haunted houses or or places, and you have this yeah. incomprehensible feeling of of unease, but you don't see right. anything. So that's what uh, I think uh, Wilson was onto something there. I don't, say, I well, don't you think know, it was that, artificial.
2: The 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 ancient Greeks uh attributed that feeling to the so-called deity Pan. Ah, Pan, uh, and yeah. One, Panic. That's where we get the word panic. Yeah, because it would just all of a sudden you would be in the wilderness or outside or some strange place and you would have this overwhelming feeling of dread and they they blamed it on him and his minions. Um, but you know, even in England today, there are places. There's a place in Scotland, for instance, where you go up on the on a particular mountain or or a series of mountains, and people are overwhelmed by this feeling of dread or something. They call the big gray man, and they have a a, a Gaelic yeah. name for it. Yeah, and they, it's the same sort of thing. It causes headlong panic where you just almost will run off a cliff.
3: You know. Well, that was the very it's, night that. Uh, uh you know, Keel had arrived in Point Pleasant, and uh, they invited a bunch of people over to tell him you know, the stories about what was going on. So they went out to the T area, and they went in the old North Power Plant. And he didn't see anything, but uh, one of the women became hysterical. She thought she saw red glowing eyes, and uh, everybody got freaked out. And it was after that when everybody went back. He, he said, <laughs> "Heal writes, being a classic fool, I went back alone into the TNT area. So it was after that incident, or all that, that that fear and drama, or whatever really, whatever happened there, uh, is when he encountered that zone of fear. My friends, John and Tim, asked him, you know, if he could remember where it was, and he he said he couldn't." That would have been a, a real coup to find out where specifically that was, but hmm. probably after all those decades, you know, who could remember?
1: Well, I mean, he said that he went back the next morning, and that zone was <laughs> nothing, gone. Yeah. right? But I mean, that was in daytime. I mean, if he had went back at night, you know, would he have uh, run into it again? I, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, you know, it's it's also it's very reminiscent um, of the kind of like the the new meme of the uh, the black eyed kids. Where you know they'll come knocking on somebody's door, and uh, the people, the the, you know the person responding to them at first, you know they're just kind of curious what these weird kids you know are doing on the front door, but then all of a sudden they'll just be overtaken by this this this, just just dread, this this fear for their life from these children. You know, it's just almost like a primal force emanating from them i know one person put it that he he had the feeling that these children were predators and that they were after they were going to get him yeah
3: right you know at first i thought i was convinced that was just urban legend nonsense but uh, i have to say after hearing some of the reports and, and reading david weatherly's book i don't think so i think there's really something going on there Yeah, I think it's something very ancient. It's always been around. Um, You know, it it, uh, it,
2: the the way it manifests itself may change over time, but it's basically the same phenomenon. I mean, they 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 seem to be intrinsically similar to lore into the lore of vampires, to the lore of the fairy folk, who are actually very negative entities. Um, Yeah, there's definitely something to it. It's just it's as if they
3: update their presentation periodically. Well, especially with the uh, the motif of, you know, having to get, uh, have permission to gain entrance mm-hmm. to the, the structure, which is a little different. I think uh, most of the men in black, uh, uh, I, guess, I guess the men in black do ask to come in sometimes, but I've heard of reports where the person would say, I don't even know why I let them in. You know, they just kind of barged in and started asking questions, and we don't know, you know, why we, we allowed them to do that.
1: Oh yeah, well, gosh, and and, uh, and of course, my it's it slips my mind at the moment on just exactly you know who this was, but there was uh, 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 somebody who uh, they were living in uh, London at the time, and he was living with his girlfriend, and he came home, and there were like these two men in black sitting in his living room, you know, like having a cup of tea with his girlfriend, and uh, apparently these guys had just showed up on on their doorstep and. Uh, they said that they were there to visit a neighbor who wasn't home and wanted to know if they could come inside and <laughs> and and wait for him and his girlfriend. I mean, and this, I guess, the neighborhood that they were living in was not, I mean, the most ideal of neighborhood. And the girlfriend just and she said afterwards, I don't know why, I just threw open the door and let him in, gave him tea, and uh, and apparently these guys they they were more interested in talking to this. Uh, 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 to this guy about his uh, you know, UFO research uh, rather than uh, inquiring about the person supposedly that they were there to meet
3: Uh, Jenny Randalls wrote uh, of course a a book on the men in black and there's one report one encounter that really stood out for me and uh, a young lady spotted a UFO I don't you know it may have been one of these where she didn't report it but they show up anyway I, I don't remember that part but these two guys showed up they didn't they just looked like they were from the government. They didn't have the, the strange aspects about them. But the, her, her mother and father just let them in and they, you know, they didn't know why they did that. The one started firing questions to this young lady. Uh, they could tell she was, I mean, she was very disturbed by it. Yet her parents didn't do anything to stop it. And, uh, and then you'd think that was it, but then uh, Jenny Randalls and her fellow researchers decided to put this young lady under uh, regressive hypnosis. Now, that's the first time I've ever heard of that happening with an MIB encounter. But what she reported was that, yes, this guy was asking her questions, and they weren't particularly probing questions either or or even sensical questions. The other gentleman seemed to be firing questions at her telepathically, Hmm. alternating with the other guy. And I thought, "What, what the hell is that all about? You know, and either set of questions was particularly going to be revealing or probing, uh, you know, for the, the sighting. So, right. it, it's almost like it's uh, intended to uh, harass, cause fear, uh, confusion, that, that trickster element, I guess, you know, you, if we keep coming back to that.
1: You no, know, I think I'm, I think I'm familiar with the case that you're talking about. Wasn't that the one where the, uh, the young lady, she had gone out, uh, outside of her home and the UFO flew overhead and she was like overwhelmed by, uh, like heat and vibration and then later actually her fillings, uh, crumbled.
3: Yes, that sounds, that sounds like the one, the right, case, right, yeah. Right. It's been a while since I've read it, but. Well, uh, you know, yeah. I,
1: I remember that case because at you know when when it first came out, that was the only part of it that you heard was, was that aspect of it that you know I mean here you know she's all the UFO and that her fillings eventually ended up uh, crumbling and falling out and right, it was it right. wasn't until years later that it was revealed that she was visited by these so-called you know and I'll put quotation marks around it government agents you know? right. <laughs> Well, let's go well, ahead. You know, they're,
2: they're, oh, oh, go, go, go ahead. ahead. I'm sorry.
1: No, no, go ahead and finish your question.
2: Uh, uh, I was just going to say there have been a lot of uh, stories about people who've had uh, strange interactions because of their f- their fillings after their uh, encounters with various types of things. So it's definitely, uh, it makes you wonder if there's not something electromagnetic going on that affects the metal in those fillings.
1: Oh, well, I mean, there used to be the stories about people who were picking up, what, like radio signals?
3: That's true. Yeah,
1: through their through their fillings and and teeth, and I mean, and they've uh, actually you know proved that that could happen.
3: Well, I'm in a lot of trouble if that happens to me with the amount of fillings I've got.
1: <laughs> well, I think they have to be a, you know, like a certain configuration. You know? <laughs> or maybe maybe the person has to be under a certain configuration. <laughs> well, let's go ahead and uh, take our final break of the show here, and uh, uh, we'll, we'll continue this conversation with uh, about the uh, Mothman, Men in Black, uh, uh, fillings and braces. So I'm Jim Swartz. You're listening to The Outer Edge on the PSN Radio network stay tuned we will be right back
0: Spell, Spells, Spells, Spells. 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 Here for the first time in the inspired pages of Bible Spells, Rev. William Orabello unveils a concealed code hidden throughout the Holy Scriptures that can bring you an abundance of money, personal success as well as love, good luck, healing, happiness, and protection of your home as well as loved ones. More important than the Bible code are Nostradamus' prophecies. This secret code was revealed to Rev. Orabello during an encounter with divine, supernatural beings who changed his life forever. Now you can learn this unique system yourself to materialize all of your personal needs and influence others. Order William Orobello's Bible Spells from Amazon.com or get your copy, a free Bizarre Bizarre subscription, as well as a bonus companion DVD for $20 with free shipping and handling by calling 646-331-6777, 646-331-6777. Whoa. The moment my son
3: saw a redwood tree. It's huge.
0: That's your child's eyes opening up to a world of possibilities. There are some moments only the forest can inspire. Find yours at discovertheforest.org. Learn about forests near you and discover cool things to do when you go. And you might just see this. Visit discovertheforest.org. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service and the Ad Council. You're listening to the Outer Edge Radio with William Michael Mott and Tim Schwartz. Only on PSN Radio.
1: Welcome back to The Outer Edge. You've just been listening to Bezel, There's a Shadow. And I tell you something, if you want to hear some truly unique music, then listen to The Outer Edge, because we've managed, uh, mostly uh, due to the uh, hard work of Mike, uh, who has found us just, just an Excellent, excellent array of music uh, that we, we use on the bumpers, the beginning, and the endings of our show, uh, and that uh, there's a shadow. That's one of them. Let's see. Also from Bezel, we've got like Damage Done, She right. Covers Me, Devil Wind, Bones of well, My yeah, Brother. We're, we're lucky,
2: you know. We we have friends who give us good music to play. It's their music, uh, um, you know. There's Bezel and uh, the Vias Brothers, and just a whole bunch of people, and including Lyle Blackburn. Who, uh, gave us, was kind enough to let us use uh, one of the, uh, uh, Ghoul Town tracks for our intro.
1: No, well, we've actually, so, we have Cruel Winds of Dusk and Life After right, Sundown.
2: Right. So, you know, we, we, uh, try to do something different with our music when we can. And, uh, we don't want to be just like everybody else. You know, so there you go.
1: No, oh, definitely not. You know, we were, we were talking before we, uh, went on our break, you know, uh, about, Receiving uh, uh, strange signals, you know, from your braces or uh, fillings or things like that. I just got through reading a book, and and hopefully uh, we'll be able to have the author on our show uh, really soon. But uh, she was writing about a, 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 a poltergeist incident in uh, England. And one of the characteristics of this poltergeist was that uh, the owners of the house where this was taking place said that occasionally uh, an unplugged uh, radio with no batteries in it would uh, would suddenly fire up and uh, voices would come out of it. And uh, the investigators... Uh, while, like the first, their first night of investigating, uh, all, they said that all of a sudden this radio just, uh, started, uh, uh, uh they said it sounded almost like, um, oh, uh, like, uh, the, the broadcast, uh, right. from, uh, um, um tri- uh, Taxi- the outer edge, or something. Well, well, no, like that. From, from the outer edge,
2: but the outer limits, or something.
1: The outer limits. <laughs> well, no, they they said it sounded like uh like how like a taxi broadcast, you know, a, a taxi well, would be calling think. its home, you know, its, yeah. its home base.
2: But uh, you know that, that that reminds you of the uh, that Italian UFO case, though. What was it called? The Friendship.
1: Yes, yes, the Friendship.
2: Yeah, because they were being talked to by radio, and then when they would unplug the radio, it would still continue to talk to them.
1: Right. Well, and their television as well. Right. Yeah, they were getting the th- and 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 of course it it also makes me think about um, uh, uh, Tessa Dick when she told us about uh, uh, you know her husband Philip Philip K Dick and right. he was uh, they were having some like oddness <laughs> going on with their bedroom radio as well. I was, I was trying to think what song the the radio was unplugged and yet in the middle of the night all of a sudden it started playing a uh, a significant song. I can't remember what it was offhand. I, I, Wasn't it? Wasn't it? Uh, You're no good. I I'm trying I, to remember. I, th- I think it might have been something along those lines. I yeah, think it, I think it was. Yeah, because I, right. I guess I guess Phil really took it to heart. <laughs>
3: yeah. <laughs> mm. Now that's creepy.
1: Yeah. Well. Yeah. It is. It is. And that's uh, you know. I mean. Uh, all of this stuff that we've been talking about this evening—you know, the Mothman, the Men in Black—they just, uh, they're. Some people would uh, would would call it fringe elements, but they occur a lot more frequently than uh, than a lot of people uh, think.
2: Right, right. Well, people don't want to talk about it because if you if you do, people say, "Well, you're paranoid." Hmm. You're schizophrenic. You're crazy. You know, um, kind of like something we've been talking about off the record here. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but yeah. I mean, you know, these things happen, and, and you know, sometimes it's people messing with other people, and sometimes it's something else.
1: Well, you know, that's uh, and and I don't know about you, Steve. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh the to- when when I go and interview. Uh, uh, people about cases, whether it be UFOs or or hauntings or whatever, you know, I don't come right out and ask them, you know, oh, uh, you know, have you, you know, uh, have you seen a UFO? or have you seen Sasquatch or anything like that? You know, I, I try to be a little bit more subtle about it, so I don't lead the way. Right. Uh, but I'll find that, gosh, maybe you know, like uh, eight times out of ten, these people will have experienced something else as well. Besides, say, like their initial, you know, UFO sighting or their haunted house. You know, if if a person is living in a haunted house, they'll talk about how, you know, the people in the neighborhood have been seeing UFOs. Or, you know, the neighbors who have been seeing UFOs will talk about how, after they had their UFO experience, then a poltergeist moves into
3: their house. And so often, uh, well, many times, uh, certain researchers are, are just focused on a certain area. And it's like, I don't want to hear about Bigfoot. I want to hear about your UFO report, even though right. they may have seen them in conjunction. Uh, I remember, uh, uh, well, Rosemary Ellen Guiley in her early research into shadow people. Uh, she was shocked to find out that a large or a significant percentage of those people were also classic UFO abductees. You know, who would have right. thought that? And, of course, you know, again, we, well, we make the example of Stan Gordon. Uh, Stan's always been open to this kind of uh, activity, but there, there have been uh, researchers that are, just don't have any patience for, you know, I'm a UFO guy. I don't want to hear about Bigfoot. I'm a Bigfoot guy. I don't want to hear yeah. about your, your extraterrestrial spacecraft.
2: Well, they'll ignore the evidence when they do their own
3: so-called research and reports
2: because it doesn't fit the paradigm they want to push. Right. They don't want to associate Bigfoot with UFOs, for instance,
3: or vice versa. And, and one of Keel's themes was that you know he stated belief is the enemy. Uh, he he stated that he would sometimes when he was entertaining some even crazy notions about what was causing the phenomena, he would get reports in that would reflect what he was thinking at the time, right. almost like it was a direct connection. So, boy, if that's the case. <clears throat> We may never find out what the heck is going on behind the scenes.
1: <laughs> I, th- I think I think some people have referred to that as the cosmic mind screw. <laughs> but they don't use the word screw, and I'll leave it at that.
3: <laughs> well, I think there there is a mechanism in human consciousness. Uh, I mean, some people have called it a planetary poltergeist. Mm-hmm. I, I suspect that if there were no aliens or, or whatever here, We'd still see them, you know, we would still, the collective unconscious would probably, I don't know, uh, manifest or project certain things, but, uh, and for a long time I thought that's all it was, but uh, I've, I've come to believe that, you know, while I can't really pin it down, I think we are de- uh, definitely dealing with some other intelligence. And I don't know, I honestly don't know if it's ET, uh, you know, a crypto terrestrial, ultra terrestrial, uh, but it does seem like there is some kind of a, a separate intelligence that is is messing with us yeah always has been i think
1: mm-hmm. oh yeah definitely so um Steve, in, in regards to Point Pleasant and, and the Mothman and, and all the activity that was going on there, you know, after the collapse of the Silver Bridge, which, well, okay, let's uh, I, again for for our listeners who you know may not uh, be familiar with uh, with that event, why don't you uh, go ahead and describe that to us?
3: Well, it was uh, it was actually thirteen months to the day of that first sighting, uh, December fifteenth, nineteen sixty seven, and it was. Uh, you know it was uh, before christmas uh the the silver bridge was built in about 1928 you know old uh technology uh uh and uh it was wasn't really designed for the the traffic of the 20th century uh and um and it was and, and you know mary Hire actually there was kind of a uh, there, was, there was a feeling of dread. Uh, John Keel, Mary Heyer, felt like something, it was more than just imagination. They, they felt something was wrong. And in the meantime, John Keel, you know, he was in contact with a lot of what he calls the silent contactees, people that firmly believed they were in contact with other entities. And, uh, uh and they, something was really going on because, uh, some of these people would, uh, would call up John Keel and say, well, you know, Mr. Whoever is right here, and so Mr. Whatever would talk to John. Now, Keel thought that this person was essentially just channeling the entity or whatever, and so it was actually the person speaking to him with their own vocal cords. But the the short of it is, and that's where the prophecies comes in in Mothman prophecies. Uh, he was getting all these prophecies about some kind of a big electromagnetic effect was going to occur on december 15th and it would culminate with the the pope was going to be an attempt on his life was going to happen and the lights were going to go out in new york city and so forth so it was a very specific uh a prophecy and it was coming in from a lot of different places well unlike the film where you see richard Gere running around and having all kinds of time to warn people off the bridge john keel was in his apartment in new york and uh he was he he was he you know he admitted freely at so least by that time he was completely paranoid and he was ready for you know the 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 power to go out and he was uh you know had extra food and water in his apartment and so forth. And then boom the the, the uh message came over the T V the bridge, the silver bridge collapsed in Point Pleasant, West Virginia. And he was, he was furious because it was like, here's this trickster element, this deception. There was a real prophecy coming through, but it was all wrong. Uh, now the bridge itself, with the people that described the bridge collapsing, it was like a series of dominoes. It just, boom, happened. Uh, it turned out it was the 13th eye bar. I think they said was, uh, the manufacturer was faulty. You know, after, after months and months of, uh, uh, and, you know, inspecting the bridge afterwards. But boom! It just went just like that. Uh, and some people just narrowly missed it. Uh, Forty-six people were lost on the bridge in uh, the bridge collapse. Uh, all the cars went into the. Now these are the icy waters. It was a very cold day, in in uh, December in West Virginia. Um, a lot of people were saved. Were fished out of their cars. Uh, people pulled together. You know, boats and uh, and regular craft that would be going by that area. They saved a lot of people but it was a, a horrific just a horrific tragedy
1: well Mary uh, Mary Heyer, didn't she say that she had been having dreams of seeing Christmas packages floating he, yeah water?
3: He, exactly yes yeah. so that was part of that oppression thing she was and but she couldn't pin down she didn't really tie it to the bridge collapse right. I think it was uh, I think John keel uh, was convinced that a uh, that maybe one of the uh, power plants one of the factories was, was going to blow up uh, I think that's what he had on his mind, but he didn't want, you know, in case it did happen, he didn't want that to go out there because then people would think he was responsible. But, uh, yeah. And then, uh, it was, one of the strange things was though that, uh, somebody reported that they had seen two men climbing on the bridge the day before mm. in like street shoes, uh, sort of, sort of men in black type wearing right checkered shirts mm. and you know uh, that checkered shirt phenomena is, is bizarre it, it crops up uh, here and there in, including with uh, bedroom invaders but uh, yeah that was uh, that's pretty much what happened it just it, it, in moments the bridge was, was down and uh, the rest is history
1: it just, it just seems to me that it's it, I mean it, it could be a coincidence but I don't believe in coincidences um all of that activity that was going on in that area, and then you have this huge tragedy. You know, I mean, it's just, it, it, it's, it, it stretches the imagination to think that it just all happened. That there is no rhyme or reason to it, it just happened.
3: Well, have you guys heard about those uh, oh, random number generators that are, are placed uh, around the country? And, uh, I don't know who sponsors them or whatever. Around but the they, world,
1: they're, they're, they're around oh, keep, the world, okay.
3: yeah. And supposedly, uh, before nine eleven, they, uh, the, the randomness stopped uh, like a couple hours ahead of time. So, like, when sometimes big events happen, the, the, and I don't, don't know how it works or, or right. no specifics, but, uh, so, you know, here it was several hours before the incident, something, I presume, in human consciousness knew what was coming or, Right, uh, you know, it's kind of like the big pause before an event. Mm-hmm. You know, so was I mean, I, I think it's possible that this this Mothman apparition may have been uh, something connected and, and a little bit like a banshee. That's what some well, people uh, think. Well, it was.
2: I'll tell you, and this this is something I I wrote about in uh, in one of my books. Mothman, the entity itself, and the description of it. It, it supposedly came out of the TNT area, of course, which of course which has underground bunkers, and now there are you know rumors of portals to the underworld, interdimensional portals, and all that kind of stuff in some of the bunkers and stuff like that. But before people ever even thought about that or knew about that, he was supposedly coming from that area. Now he was seen uh, supposedly uh, he killed a dog, right? And people well, they thought, well they don't know. I uh,
3: okay. uh, was uh, Merle Partridge's dog disappeared.
2: Right, and then they saw him with some a, do- a dead dog on the side right. of the road, or right, right, something. Yeah. So, so here's the thing: in ancient Sumerian belief, there was a being in the underworld. that was a big, dark, black bean with wings. It was called the Utuku, and the job of the Utuku was to leave the underworld and go gather up the meats. Of the sacrifices to the to the gods of the underworld. Now, those meats would be things like livers, um, you know, uh, the sweet meats, as they're called, hearts, you know, entrails, these types of things. Well, we don't sacrifice creatures, animals, to the gods of the underworld anymore. But could it be that there's somebody or something out there that still wants what it used to get? So it dispatches an Utuku, like being so could the culmination of what happened have been a mass human sacrifice?
3: Hmm. That's a little unsettling.
1: <laughs> it is but you know, the uh um for the most part, with the exception of really just a few really almost anecdotal sightings, uh the Mothman was really unique to that place and time. Yes. yes. You know there are
2: people today who shall remain nameless who try to say Mothman's everywhere. I saw Mothman; he was looking in my ba- bathroom window. Look, I got another book coming out about it. You know, this stuff is ridiculous. Now, now there are entities that are similar, and you know, like the Owlman and, and that type of thing. But he def- Mothman was definitely a, a very, very much localized uh, phenomenon, as far as you could tell from all the evidence. Of course, everybody that sees a flying humanoid of any kind
3: or a flying anomaly, they try to say it's Mothman. Yeah, it's Mothman. Right. And yeah. it's, yeah, and that's, of course, that's ridiculous. I mean, there are, yes. like you say, a lot of winged apparitions or entities, yes. but they're, they're just, it's just not the same thing.
1: Well, there was just a, uh, just a thing last week. Where did it come out of? our Argentina, where uh, somebody oh, yeah. uh, supposedly had taken a picture of uh, you know, a mothman type of uh, a creature, but it's, uh, you know, it's turned out to have been a, you know, naturally a Photoshop hoax. I saw it. Uh, oh, yeah. I was like, hey, wait, I've seen that. I've seen that before.
3: <laughs> well, Linda Godfrey covered the a man bat. They sort of described it in uh, Wisconsin a few years back. Very different kind of a creature. Like Keel in in the book The Mothman Prophecies, there's a a whole chapter on winged. He called them winged weirdos, mm-hmm. and uh you know that's this kind of it's sort of a it's like so much in the in the whole UFO paranormal realm. There's the, these general categories, you know, aliens, cryptids, or whatever are, you know, you've got those general categories where things are kind of generally the same, but you you break it down into specifics, and you know. Craft, the the basic craft are all different. The aliens are all different. The cryptids are all different. There are, there are very specific differences where you can't just say, "Oh, you know, identify it like you would a uh, in, you know a book on zoology." Say, "Well, this is that, and this is that." You know, it doesn't work that way.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, well, I mean, with the exception of the wings, you know the the Mothman is is sounds almost like uh, certain uh, uh, Bigfoot sightings. You know, you have a large bipedal creature with red glowing eyes. And, uh, you know, and then the Mothman took it a step further and suddenly brought the wings out and and, and it was flying around. So, I mean, is there, a, you know, is there a difference? Or does it does it even matter?
3: You know, it probably doesn't matter. Um, uh I'm not sure what the source is for these things, uh, but it, uh, you know, you also have the bat squatch, which has supposedly been seen out in, in the Northwest. I'm not sure what to make of that. I don't know how, uh, a set of wings is going to lift a bigfoot off the ground. But, uh, yeah, it's, uh, I, you know, the, I think it, the bottom line is the appearance isn't really that important. It's, it's probably just some kind of facade anyway. And it right. probably all goes back to the same source. Exactly
1: well and that's you know <laughs> I can't remember who was it maybe it was Michael Shermer who who was saying that that you know the the witnesses in Point Pleasant were just being fooled by a big
3: owl yeah, yeah. And, uh. and, and,
1: it's, and, and it's just like okay now here are people who have lived in this area all of their life, you know uh, pract- I mean all of them, lived in, uh, you know, uh, uh, very rural areas there of West Virginia, they know the difference between an owl or a sandhill crane or, or, or what have you. And it's just, you know, I mean, that, that's something that always irks me about, you know, some of these skeptics that, that come up with these explanations without ever having gone to the area, talked to the people, you know, done some actual investigation, either than just, uh, making judgments from what they've read in books or seen on the internet.
3: Yeah, he set up a, an experiment in the TNT area. Uh, when I went to one of the Mothman festivals, the, some of the stuff was still up there. He set up a series of two-dimensional Mothmen, and, uh, he, uh, uh would have people at random try and determine how how far away they were and how tall they were well my friends john and tim were spot on and some of the others weren't but that's that's not a legitimate you know it's like you focus on a one little element of all the strangeness that went on in this area and try and explain it away and it just doesn't work <laughs>
1: Yeah, but I mean, once uh, once they make that judgment, though, then you start getting the the newspaper reports or you know these uh, uh, shows on Discovery or History Channel. It's like, oh well, see, it's been solved. You know, it was all just a mistake. You know? And then and then you know, it's just like, oh nope, we don't want to hear anything. We don't want to hear any other different opinions. You know, <laughs> clap their hands over their ears. That's it. It's solved. Nothing more. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It was the same situation um, with the uh, the East Coast Triangle UFO sightings of the early 1980s. Oh, yeah. Uh, there was, uh, 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 when they first started... Somebody came out and said that uh, all, it was a uh, um, an advertising airplane that was carrying. Uh, they, they had lights on the side of their of the plane that that showed a message, and that uh, uh, and that people were seeing that. And once once that person made that announcement, all of the newspapers covered that, and it was just like you know, mysterious UFOs solved and that was it you know they you know they 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 refused to uh uh to do any more reporting on uh, I, uh, any more
3: sightings. i know that's common they, they find they can lash you know, like the crop circle thing whatever that was about there were a right. couple guys that were faking some of them and then okay they've done them all when it's just not possible no it's that's not possible typical mainstream press uh you know techniques to, to well, just try and explain away stuff
2: well, it even goes deeper than that though it's the ridicule factor how do you discredit something what's the best way well you make it look stupid foolish silly dishonest you know and so you'll find mundane. that in it. Make
1: it look mundane
2: yeah in every endeavor or every field of study that's anomalous uh, material you'll find the same thing happens you know you have idiots and i that's a compliment for these guys <laughs> that had the had the monkey suit in the in the freezer filled with roadkill. Oh, oh a Lord, couple, yeah. it, it, couple of imbeciles, and they had basically discredited the whole concept of of actually finding uh, uh, any any living hominid that's not human because they made such a laughing stock out of the whole idea. So you know it, it's the same sort of a thing, and, and like you said, earlier we talked about the swamp gas thing, it's the same thing. So you know if you can get that. That ha 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 factor out there, then nobody's going to look twice at the real research, the real facts, the real evidence that the majority of people want. Mm-hmm. And one of the reasons that they want, even if they're not into studying anomaly anomalous phenomena, they they won't express interest because they themselves will be scared of the guilt by association. Uh, of the of the negativity and the ridicule and so forth, you like to read about UFOs. What are you, some kind of a nut? You know that kind of a thing. So that that's basically what's going on. And and look, you know, you want to say that it's intentional, and to some extent it is, but it's always going on. You know, going back into the to Middle Ages, I mean, there was a time when there were there was uh, there were uh, there was a woman named Ann Jeffries who claimed that she was in contact with the fairies and they were doing all kinds of stuff to her, and her reward for telling what was happening to her was that she was burned as a witch. So, you know, um,
3: it's the same kind of a thing. Yeah, it's part of the human condition. It's been with us as long as we've been here. Yeah, and it's it's fear based.
2: Ultimately,
1: ultimately, yeah,
2: and, yeah. It, and even if it's somebody that's scared of of, of their own little paradigm, their own little uh, oligarchy of I'm the I'm the expert of this field of study, it when they come out so strongly against new evidence, it's fear based because they're territorial and they don't want to be um, dislodged from where from where they perch.
1: Hmm. You know, I I, I remember uh, the. I was working at a, a television station when the Air Force released that uh, what was it called? Uh, uh, Roswell Explained or something like something like yeah. that. That that great big you know he was saying, and a and guy that I worked with uh, after after he read that he made this he made this statement to me and he said like you know see you know uh, 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 the the Air Force just proved that there's no such thing as ufos and i'm like now wait a minute here I, i said okay the air force may have explained that the roswell incident may not have occurred but now how do you get then how did you make that that leap of faith that the air force just said that ufos in general don't exist and he just, you know, he just he 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 was like well i just i stand by my statement and then he refused well, to talk about it
2: <laughs> yeah 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 that's that's an idiot okay i mean the whole point of a, a ufo is it's unidentified that's why it's called a ufo i mean to say something like that just just indicates he's he's, a, he's an idiot
1: yeah but you see uh the news media especially making almost the same kind of statements you know uh, 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 about oh, yeah. thing about things like this you all know, the time one one thing may be you know maybe solved or proved to be you know a hoax or you know mistaken identity or whatever and then everything else gets lumped into that and explained as well
3: well, remember how they, they used to cover, I mean, the Betty and Barney Hill thing and the Pascagoula incident uh, was covered nationwide. And then, you know, not too long afterwards, it all, you know, kind of went away. And people would say, oh, well, there's, there's no more UFOs. But I'm sure you guys probably all subscribe to the UFO news clipping service at some point or another. Oh, yeah. And that was, oh, yeah, that was a great resource. And you'd find out that this stuff was always going on all the time. And covered by more of the local newspapers and not, you know, being picked up on the, uh, the nationwide wires. So, uh, you know, that was a great resource to be able to, to do that and to see all the stuff that was still going on in these different locales.
1: Well, it's the same thing, uh, you know, like over the past, uh, a couple of years, you'll, you'll see these things online. <laughs> Uh, people will, will write these articles and say, oh, well, people aren't seeing UFOs anymore. What's <laughs> happened? You know, it's, uh, it's like, no, uh, wait a minute. Where are you getting this from? From, you know, from my desk, you know, the stories that are coming in, you know, to me every day, you know, it's just the opposite. Yet somehow it's, it's gotten around that, uh, that the UFO phenomena is disappearing. Fat chance. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, well uh unfortunately guys we are almost out of time here so steve i i want to give you an opportunity to uh uh uh, uh, plug anything if people want to find out more about you uh do you have Uh,
3: or anything like that uh, well facebook they can contact me on facebook uh i'm doing a a nice long form interview with uh, brent rains from his uh, alternate perceptions magazine and it's sort of a you know, instead of how I spent my summer vacation, it's more like how a kid from Michigan fascinated by flying saucers ended up a half a century later in the, uh, at the Mothman Festival giving tours. So, and it's, it's kind of fun.
1: And can they, can they find a, uh, a link to Alternative Perceptions on uh, your Facebook page?
3: Uh, no, because I'm not <laughs> that computer savvy. But if they Google Alternative Perceptions, they, they can All find right. it with no problem.
1: Okay. Cool. Sir. And uh, you know, any any plans for you know a book or article?
3: well, I don't know. Uh, I I've got some ideas for some articles. Uh, I I don't know how that'll manifest, but uh, I am going. Uh, the Mothman Regulars are going to meet again in a couple weeks in Point Pleasant. So who knows what we'll uncover in a, in a couple of weeks?
1: All right. So I mean, if uh, uh, you'll you'll put this up on your Facebook page.
3: Oh, sure. Yeah, something, uh, uh, there will always be photographs. Or, you know, we've done uh, uh, a couple couple couples that come down with us that are really good at collecting EVPs. And uh, mm. we have gone down to the spot where the Silver Bridge used to stand, which is not there anymore. It's been moved down the river. And uh, we've gotten some interesting things that have happened there. So, And they, they do EVP work out in the T area as well. So there's always something, always something going on, always something to do down there.
1: All right, fantastic. Well, Steve, thank you very much for uh, being our guest tonight. It's—I uh, uh, tell you something—the the, the time has just flown by, and I really, really appreciate you uh, being with us.
3: Well, I, we appreciate it, man. Well, thanks, uh, Tim and Mike. Uh, it's great being your guest.
1: Well, the uh, all right. Well, when you uh, uh, have something, uh, something new. Coming on after you've uh, uh, after you're finished with it, I want you to uh, come back and uh, and and tell us about it.
2: I'd yeah, be glad to. Po- yeah, keep us posted
1: on what you're doing. For I sure. will, absolutely, definitely. All right. Well, we need to uh, wrap it up here. Our time has is rapidly coming to an end. So, Mike, great being with you tonight. And we, yep, you too, man.
2: Right. Um, have, have a great week. What's left up? Well, no, what's up Have a great new week, I should say.
1: I started saying it's uh, the beginning of a new week. <laughs> that's
2: right. So, yeah, have a good one, man.
1: All right, everyone out there, take care. Be sure to tune in this time next week for another fascinating program, The Outer Edge, on the PSN Radio Network. So good night and take care.